0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode nine of Say Who, Say Pod, hosted by myself, Christian Capel, and Danny O'Neill. And when we last left you, it I, I think it felt like Kalen DeBoer was in the process of raiding Fresno State's roster. Uh, Cause it seemed like Jake Hayner was maybe on his way and there were some rumors about a receiver possibly jumping in the portal. Um, and it turns out that none of that happened. Jake Hayner is, is staying at Fresno state. Uh, turned out there were some eligibility issues there uh, in terms of securing a waiver and, and they hired Jeff Tedford. So he's staying put, um, but Washington has since received a commitment from an experienced quarterback who also has a history with Kalen DeBoer. Michael Penix Jr. from Indiana announced on Monday that he had committed to Washington after visiting them over the weekend. By the way, a very busy travel itinerary for him over the weekend. He visited UCF and then flew to Seattle. I think got in late Saturday night and visited Washington on Sunday, which I don't know if there are two uh, FBS schools that are further apart than Washington and, and UCF, but he managed to see both in the same weekend. Um, he chose Washington. He's, he's got, he's an interesting guy. Um, career has been derailed by injuries. He hasn't finished a full college season, but when he's been healthy, I think he's been able to do some things that have kind of got him noticed. I'm curious, Danny, what your first impressions were of that.
1: Well, I was pumped because I remember him. I remember him especially during 2019. Like he was a monster. Oh no, 2020. 2020 was an absolute monster. Was that the game where he beat Ohio State or had them neck and neck with Ohio State?
0: So that yeah, they they were down big and they had a comeback. They lost by seven to Ohio State, but he threw five touchdown passes against them, and he had the the the, the famed pylon play in overtime Correct. to beat Penn State.
1: That's the game I'm thinking of. It was the pylon play against uh, against Penn State. He's awesome to watch play. He's an absolute, I was I, I was pumped. One of the major reservations I had about Jake Hayner was, I was like, are we really going to go back in time and basically say the last three years was a complete another wash? Have Jay Hayner transfer in here and then plop him in front of Sam Heward because it didn't make sense that, that Jay Hayner would come here without starting. And it didn't really make sense to me that Sam Heward spend another year... Yet as soon as I saw Penix, I was like, let's go. He's ready. Day one starter. Come on. And I, am I a hypocrite for that? Is it because I think that Penix is a better player or prospect than Hayner? Is it because I've never seen him before? When I've watched him, it's been in these games against Big Ten sort of power pedigree programs that, that I've liked. I, I'm basically saying I'm a hypocrite, Christian, because when I saw that Penix was there, I did not have the initial like, oh, my God, Sam Hayward won't get on the field now. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, I uh, I don't know that Penix is a a more sure thing than Jake Hayner would have been just because of the injury history. But, yeah, like, I had kind of the same impression. Like, when I went and looked at his stats... You know, not following the Big Ten super closely, it hadn't occurred to me that that he had been that banged up and that he had actually played like that little for a guy who technically is, you know, a three year starter, at least has gone into three college seasons as the starter. And yeah, my memories of him were in twenty twenty when I think that because of the delayed season, I think that Penn State game was their opener. So yes. that was like the first weekend of, of Big Ten football, and I remember every like it was one of those games that everybody was watching, everyone was talking about it on Twitter and, you know, obviously down to the wire, I think Penn State was a top 10 team at the time, and, and you know, Indiana doesn't have that same pedigree. So it was like, you know, it was a big deal. They were in the game with him. And then, yeah, he's got this, you know, stretching out last second. Did the ball hit the pylon before he was down? Was it out of bounds? Is it good? Is it not? You know, and they win by a point, and I feel like that kind of put him on the map. And then, yeah, he's got the, the big game against Ohio State. He throws five touchdown passes, and... You know, he's kind of on your radar as this dynamic guy who's you know kind of on the come up as a an exciting, still young, I think at that time, quarterback in college football, comes into 2021 with, I think, a, a little bit of hype because of that. And, man, I, th- have you seen Indiana's offensive numbers from this year? Yes. Oh, my God. They just yeah. cratered. Yes. So, and, you know.
1: One, one of the top advertising, like if you're going to look at, selling points of Kalen DeBoer. Is, isn't, isn't that one of them? Yeah. Not only what happened when he got there, but what happened after he left where you're like, yeah, that wasn't the talent that was there. Like sometimes, sometimes coaches walk into a great situation and it certainly looks like there was, there was some assets that were there, but once Kalen DeBoer left, that was, yeah, that was, that was the Indiana university football program that we've come to know and, and not expect much from.
0: They scored 10 touchdowns in conference play.
1: Is John Donovan coordinating that? <laughs> uh,
0: so, obviously, Michael Penix Jr. was not, not himself. Um, he had a, an injury to his throwing shoulder and, I think, only played in five games, but did not have good numbers in those five games.
1: Plus, he's left-handed. Washington going to have two lefty quarterbacks? Yeah, on scholarship. Left-handed. Let's go. <laughs> Let's get some rollouts in because teams aren't going to be accustomed to this. Yeah, we're gonna go. We're gonna go Southpaw style. Like we need some 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 Mickey sound from from Rocky. is a Southpaw. It's ugly style. It's ugly style. <laughs> terrible watching him play. No, no Southpaw Central here at UW. Do you see
0: him? Do you see him as the starter? Like do you do you feel like Kalen DeBoer just went out and got their starting quarterback for twenty twenty two?
1: I think he's going to start the season. I don't know if he'll finish the season as the starter. I think that this is going to be one of those. You've got two uncertainties with with Penix. One is does he stay healthy, and then the second one is how he plays um, in, in, in sort of being reconnected with him. But I think I think he's your week one starter. That would that would be my expectation. Um, it's hard for me to believe that Penix would would decide to come here if Deboer is giving him an indication of like we think we've got our starting quarterback, right? Um, th- that that's just that's just my impression. And if you're Deboer if the biggest uncertainty is what happens if Penix gets hurt, that's not a reason to not start him as your quarterback. Right? No,
0: no, it's not right.
1: Like, like the, the, the idea that, Oh, he might get hurt because you're like, well, if he gets hurt, then I, I'm going to go with the, the, the five-star guy that everybody thinks should be ready, but is just going to be a freshman. I mean, he's, he's only, it's only going to be his second year on campus. I guess he enrolled in spring quarter. Um, back in 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 2021 but still um this is still pretty pretty early in his career I I would expect Penix to be the starter I just don't know if he'll last the whole season in that spot
0: if nothing else and I kind of had this thought with Jake Hayner too like first of all how fortunate for Kalen DeBoer that, that the two quarterbacks he's he's worked with in recent years both were well it turned out Hayner maybe wasn't quite as available in the end but that they you know they were able to look into two guys who he's who he's worked directly with. Um, I've, if nothing else, this gives them someone in that room who knows the offense or at least has familiarity within the offense. Maybe it's tweaked, maybe it's it's a little bit different than what Michael Penix Jr. was operating in, you know, three years ago. But it, he's got someone who can sort of help bring those other guys along a little bit, and you've you've sort of got that um, coach on the field type of of dynamic going on where you know coaches talk about how just from a big picture like culture standpoint let's say you you need to have like leaders on the team like players carrying your message to to get total buy-in like you've got to have guys in the locker room who who are sort of directing that too it can't just come from the coaches But, but i think there's value in that from like a more simple like x's and o's standpoint too that like now you have a quarterback who's going to be in in film with these guys and in meeting rooms with these guys and hanging out with these guys off the field and you know throwing in the off season and all that type of stuff. Who who knows what they're trying to get done? Knows what Kalen DeBoer's preferences are. Knows what he's like as a play caller, even though it's it's gonna be Ryan Grubb calling the plays, um, and just sort of already has that understanding of like what's this offense about, what does it feel like, what does it look like? And so, um, you know, he can he can help bring Sam Heward and, and Dylan Morris along, and then, you know, also the receivers and like right, everybody else on the offense, right? You've got a quarterback, you've got the most important player on the field who already has an understanding of this thing. So, um, you know, I think they're they needed to get a third scholarship quarterback no matter what you know, you can't, you can't go into a season or even really into spring with only having two guys. So, um, if there's somebody available who you have a relationship with and who has started, you know, games at the power five level and has played well at times. Um, yeah, there was no reason not to, to add Michael Penix jr. To the roster. I think it can only, even, even if he starts, doesn't start stays healthy, gets hurt, misses time, whatever. Um, I don't, I don't think that, that this can be a detriment at all.
1: I also had the fantasy and thought to myself, that would probably be a pretty exciting addition for Washington's wide receivers. And I find myself thinking about that an awful lot because if there's one group of players that I think has you have to re-recruit most ardently, I think it's your wide receivers. And it's where they've had incredible talent that was not given enough opportunities in this previous year. It's the guys... And what I what I thought is like it's got to be pretty exciting for them to think about the guy who everybody saw diving for the pylon, like that who watched in that overtime game, who threw the five touchdowns in that showcase against Ohio State. Like if there was, if you were gonna go and get and I wasn't, I I, I was not as excited about Jake Hayner because in part it's like hey he'd been here before and it, it, the, just what it meant about what the p- past three years have been. But if you're like, no, you're getting one of the more dynamic and exciting, explosive players from the Big Ten who everybody's watched and you hope he can stay healthy. I imagined it would it would be pretty exciting for other offensive players on Washington's roster.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. And, you know, just the idea that the, the brand new head coach is just immediately beating the pavement, trying to get yeah, like a big yes. time quarterback in there.
1: Yeah, it's like the the motto should be what What wouldn't John Donovan do? And it would be something like this: like what wouldn't well, you want to You want to basically say that 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 offense last year we're never going to see anything like that again. Like that that's don't don't say like Hey, we think we need to change some things. We're tearing it down to the studs, and we're we're going to bring in something dramatically different. Which anybody who looks at Kalen DeBoer's track record and his history and what he's done, like he knows what he's doing on offense. He knows what he's going to put in place. But this just made it even even more clear like that offense is not going to look like what we saw a year ago
0: no it's not um which is unfortunate for for those who were recruited primarily to play h-back you know i don't know what i, I think i think fresno's roster actually did list some h-backs though but i think they, they probably deploy them just a bit differently than uh than john donovan did um
1: the h-back is such a weird and i don't want to hate on it because it can be a really useful thing but it's it is. It's a pretty boring spot, right? Like it's a boring position. The H back is a boring position.
0: It, it's funny that they just give it like you 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 move a fullback like what is it up and over a little bit, or maybe yes. even just just over, and now it's it's a different letter. It's a different <laughs> position.
1: You know, one of my favorite things Dave Wyman used to do. This because it drove him nuts when people would talk about five technique and three technique. Like all of a sudden, do, is that in college football too? Do you, do you, do you have like the the tape nerds start talking about defensive linemen in terms of those positions? Coaches do. The, uh,
0: it's not as you don't you don't get the tape junkie uh, draft, draft nick types who who are quite as obsessed with it as, as in the NFL. It's the,
1: it's the worst. It would drive Wyman nuts because basically <laughs> the three tech and the five tech have to do with what shoulder of the guard right the defensive tackle is lining up on. And so Wyman heard someone say like, well, his experience is at five tech. I'm not sure how he's going to adjust to three technique. And Wyman just goes, "Goes, it's it's lining up like on one side of the fat guy or the other side <laughs> of the fat guy. Do you think he's going to move over six inches and be like, oh my gosh, I have absolutely no idea what to do over here because I'm facing the big fat guy's other shoulder. <laughs> it was very funny.
0: You split the difference and just put him at four tech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right into oh, the just, right into the chest.
1: Just, just the worst. I, I, yeah. There were days. There were days covering the NFL where I was like, I just have no idea how I make it through a day without punching somebody in their throat over saying some sort of stupid and I think potentially invented term to try and sound smart.
0: My favorite are the the draft um, draft bios, draft profiles, and and the, just the the adjectives that are sometimes included in those to describe the way guys play. And it's, it's amazing because you somehow see new ones every year and you get would...
1: skinny through the hole. He's, yeah. he's a, a heavy ankled waist bender. <laughs> <Like> I was... <laughs> it might've been thick ankled waist bender that, that I read. He's got heavy hands. That was my favorite
0: um, dinosaur as a kid. The thick ankled yeah. waist bender.
1: <laughs> thick ankled He's a thick ankled waist bender. We don't want those up here. Uh, natural catcher is another one. Like what? What, do you do you think there's some sort of like natural way to catch a, a football? Like do you think that's one of like the platonic forms a natural catcher? What the hell does that mean? There's nothing natural about catching an inflated pig bladder. Are you like saying that's not that's not that's not some sort of instinct that we're born with as humans. So I don't think he came out of the womb catching footballs.
0: Are you saying that natural catchers are the ones who who don't fight the ball? He doesn't that's another good Oh, he, one. Fight, he fights it a little.
1: What in
0: what way is he fighting the football in the air?
1: Yeah. Do you ever see him punch it? Like he just sits there. I could see that if he was like, oh, he gave it a right cross. Yeah. Yeah. Invented football terminology just drives me nuts.
0: One guy who is not known to fight the ball, at least through his high school career, uh, is Jeremy Bernard, uh, arguably the, the jewel of Washington's five-man signing class on the early signing period uh, Wednesday, four-star receiver from Liberty High School in, in Henderson, Nevada. Uh, Bernard signed along with... Ryan Otten, another four-star prospect, Cade's younger brother, a tight end from Tumwater High School. Parker Brailsford, an interior offensive lineman from uh, the the powerhouse, Sahuaro High School in Scottsdale, Arizona. Denzel Boston, another receiver, a local guy from Emerald Ridge High School in Puyallup, a three-star. And Lance Holtzclaw, who's a, a weak side defensive end, outside linebacker, edge rusher type uh, from, from Mesa, Arizona. Danny, I know you're not you're not big on on following every turn of the screw with with recruiting, and um, you know I can I can certainly understand that it can get a little uh, get a no, little no, in just, the weeds I'm gonna, sometimes. I'm gonna,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat here. I'm just gonna ask you for the overall significance because early signing class of five guys isn't that big. I shouldn't be surprised though, right? Like they've had a coaching change. It would make sense that even even some guys who still might end up coming here aren't ready to sign yet because they want to see how things develop. How how concerned should I be that there are only five dudes? Um,
0: the concern will be what are they able to do over the next seven weeks before the next signing day and then, in like, in the offseason through the portal because they have some guys they're in on who they've had in on visits who are waiting to sign until February. Um, and so, like, the concern will be can they close on those guys or not because this, like, this class could have been bigger if they'd wanted it to be. Because there were a couple of commitments to Jimmy Lake that they looked at and, and said, oh, mm, sorry, but but no thanks. You know, you're know, you better off looking somewhere else.
1: That's the coldest reality of these things. It, and is. It's not a, it I, is. I mean, I don't, I don't want to rip on the coaches for it because there's a certain level of being real with a kid and, and what his trajectory looks like at a school. But it is also – that was how UW lost Nate Burleson. New Heisel got here and thought he was like kind of a legacy uh recruit under, under under Gilby or under um under under Lambright and then just kinda said, nah, he, he ended up going to Nevada Reno and making it look really, really terrible. But I, I, I do I feel for kids when that happens, man. It
0: sucks. I mean it just especially you know, you've got um, Chance Bogan was a, is a, a legacy guy. His dad, Curtis played linebacker at Washington and he's, he's a tight end and had been committed for a really long time. And um, you know, said in his, his decommitment note that, you know, he hadn't gone to any camps or entertained any other offer. Yeah. Basically had stopped trying to get recruited, right? Because he'd, he'd committed and that's, that's the way Washington wants it to be. Um, and yeah, he, you know, he put out a note decommitting and you know, you can get into whether that was his decision or the staff's decision. You kind of read between the lines a little bit and and figure, okay, would have been a second tight end in the class, and this offense doesn't deploy the tight end quite as much as the previous one, which recruited to a system that was you know used to having two on the field at a time, and and yeah, and, so
1: and didn't like to score touchdowns, we right. Recruiting to a system that did not want to score touchdowns,
0: yeah, unique in this day and age. Um, the, <laughs> the goals, right. the priorities, the are sl- just a little different.
1: We're going to slow it down.
0: <laughs> the no scoring offense. <laughs> My friends and I joke when um, like during the NCAA tournament, when, when a team that, the, you know, kind of an underdog type team gets like a double digit league lead and they kind of tense up down the stretch and the team that's better kind of inevitably closes the gap a little bit. We call that the no scoring offense. Like you go, you go into your no scoring offense cause you think you've got enough points to win and it, and it backfires. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, couple guys that that I think are are well this class is going to be made one way or the other come the February signing day and then through the portal thereafter and before then you know and it's just so like Kalen DeBoer says that you know the target number for this class is 15 when it's all said and done hard to pin down cuz you don't know who's going to leave and there's going to be guys coming and going and all that sort of stuff but like it was always going to be a small class cuz they didn't have that many seniors um but you know a 15 guy class nowadays doesn't necessarily mean you go out and find fifteen high schoolers. It might be ten high schoolers and, and five transfers, or nine and six, or something like that. Um, you're just you're all. It seems like you're already already recruiting every single day, year round. Both current high school prospects, high school juniors, high school sophomores. You're keeping track of multiple classes, but now the portal is such a thing, and guys are immediately eligible when they transfer. Now, you always got to have an eye on that. And, you know, in addition to Michael Penix Jr., they got a commitment from a cornerback a from UC Davis, who was all big sky this year, who's going to be a six-year guy. And you got to figure he probably thinks he's stepping right into a starting job. Name's Jordan Perryman, um, had a pretty good year this year for a team that made the playoffs. So, you know, th- those kind of guys are always going to kind of round out your class and you know, you can't just look at the high school rankings anymore. And, and, you know, I saw even 247 Sports said they're basically rolling out a new ranking system that's going to factor in, you know, transfers. And those guys are going to get rankings. And so. Um, oh, that's
1: awesome. Even Boy, that's. I Yeah, we, we definitely more rank, rankings. Like if we can get yes. more rankings, especially of guys that haven't played as much. Like if we could do that, that'd be phenomenal. <laughs> God, are you serious? How are you going to. Well, isn't it more reliable?
0: Isn't a, isn't a rank on someone like Michael Penix Jr. way more reliable than a high schooler?
1: Yeah, but Penix is the the vast minority of of transfers, isn't he? Like, of, of the guys transferring, what percentage have played enough that you could be able to actually evaluate their on-field performance? That's yeah, a like good point. 15%? 20 I mean, most of the people that are transferring are transferring because they didn't get the opportunities they wanted, Right.
0: Yeah, no, that's, I, and maybe I'd have to go back and look at exactly
1: what they're, what they're talking about, but, um, it, but it is,
0: you, you have, you have to try to factor that into the class somewhere, right?
1: Yeah. You shouldn't, you shouldn't allow me to rip on the recruiting sites because I'm just going to do that. Uh, (laughs) They, you do have to, you, it's part of the game and it's going to be an increasingly large part of the game. And you saw the benefits that it paid for Washington last, last year. And their their nickel corner, who I thought was one of their better defensive players, comes comes via the transfer. It is going to change the way that that teams are are able to. They should be able to improve quicker because of that.
0: Do you have any more recruiting thoughts you'd like to share?
1: Can you give me the name of like one guy that I, that I, whose recruitment that I should watch? Cause, cause my, I mean, there's several, there's several reasons that I don't get into recruiting. Like the first is that I don't ever want to feel disappointed that an 18 year old kid decides that he thinks he'd be happier going to a different college than the one I attended because he very well might be right. And I don't, I don't want to, I just don't want to put that sort of emotional investment on an 18 year old's decision. But, I, I feel the overall change of program, the amount of people that were whining about Jimmy Lake's recruiting, like apparently, is there is there like one guy whose recruitment that I should watch and kind of see? And if Washington was able to land him or close on him, that that I should be like, oh, that was that was a pretty good job by Kalen DeBoer and his team. Is, is, is there one or two guys?
0: There does happen to be one guy who stands okay. out above all the others, and that's Josh Connerly, the five-star left tackle at, at Rainier Beach. Um, who's, I think right now, if, if people had to predict it, he, he's probably headed for Michigan, but the coaching change and the fact that Washington hired, uh, Michigan's director of pers- director of player personnel, Courtney Morgan, um, who has, has a good relationship with Josh Connerly. There's some thought that that will help. Obviously whoever they hire as offensive line coach is going to dictate a lot more, but, um, he's waiting until February to sign. So they, they do have some time to get the staff in place and develop a, a new relationship with him. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know he's one. He's a five-star offensive lineman. He plays, excuse me, he plays left tackle. So that's huge. And and he's a, he's a local guy who has that that pedigree, right? And that that didn't go so well for them in, in the last class with the Mecca Agbuka and JT Tui Maloa both leaving. So um, if Kalen DeBoer were able to come in and and sign Josh Connerly in his first class, it would be a huge statement. And you know just just for perception, just for optics purposes, I've already seen people kind of make the comparison to Buda Baker, right? That was the prospect. Chris Peterson came in. He'd been committed to Oregon. He decommitted. Um, Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake were able to get in there and, and convince him why staying home and going to Washington was the right move. And they landed him and he was as important to, to that, you know, those first few years and, and the success they had in the playoff run as anybody. So um, Josh Connerly is, is that type of prospect who, you know, Obviously adding that talented of an offensive lineman is, is always gonna be a priority and always gonna be a good thing, but the fact that he's a five star guy that, that, you know, they have a chance to keep home, um, that that's really what would make him the, the one guy you'd be talking about.
1: God, I loved watching Buda Baker play. He was so much fun. So Josh Connolly, okay, I will keep I will I, I will keep my eyes open to see see how that goes. Um I also always laugh. When did colleges get director of personnel? Like that's an NFL job, and usually it's like director of pro personnel. Yeah, when did did we start having director of personnel?
0: So, I want to say it became really robust like a decade ago, and Chris Peterson was the first Washington coach who like really built out that department. Like Sark had some, but Peterson got there and had. I mean, like they right now they have a director of player personnel, they have a recruiting director, they have a like two or three other people with with recruiting in their title and then they have a handful of other you know like a like program coordinator um and a couple others like that
1: that, because in the nfl those dudes are responsible for like talent evaluation basically
0: that's yeah that's that's what that's what these departments do Uh, a lot of it is a lot of it is front-end evaluation well you know they have they have a whole they have like 20 student interns split between operation i don't know. And DeBoer will have to decide how he wants to do this. But they, under Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake, they had like 20 student interns split between operations and scouting. And operations was more like logistical type stuff, sending out mailers, you know, helping set up for visit weekends, um, you know, sort of laying the foundation from, from that perspective. And then they they had scouting interns who who cut tape, you know, who like Jimmy Lake would say, hey, I, I want to see every play that Julius Irvin and Kyler Gordon were involved in this weekend because those are our top two targets. And they'd cut it up, and boom, he'd have a file <laughs> on huddle of here, here's every single play these guys did. And and sometimes so I, I did a story um, last year. It was a student recruiting intern who first saw Zion Tupuola-Fatui and brought him to the attention of the coaches. He was cutting tape watching another prospect from Hawaii, and this big, lanky dude for Pearl City just kept making plays and was clearly, like, athletically superior to everybody on the field. And the kid was like, whoa, like, you should take a look at this guy. So they, they watched more and did their research, and, you know, the rest is kind of history. So that's, that, we that's have, an aspect is, of it, too.
1: Is that guy still part of the personnel department?
0: He sounds like somebody we should keep. He's not. Uh, his name. His na- oh, he- his name is Benny Feinsilver, and he's a. Uh, I believe he's a recruiter at Amazon. If I remember oh, correctly,
1: I. This is this is a terrible waste of manpower.
0: Shout out where to the, shout out to Benny.
1: Where where are the priorities if if Amazon can pay more <laughs> for talent acquisition than the University of Washington? Well, money's... I remember. I remember the days when when there was there was some serious there was some serious horsepower put behind talent acquisition.
0: The money's not everything. It's a you know it's it's that that life is a grind you know so.
1: It is. It's a terrible. Job. I could be miss. Uh, I, I could
0: be. I could be misremembering him being at Amazon I, I I talked to a few player or uh, a few former interns for that story and one of them was at Amazon but I I think they were all generally kind of like either big tech companies or tech startups or or whatever and some of, you know some of them went into went into the the. The scouting and operations world too, so kind of a, an interesting little, uh, little uh, I'm tangent get on there. On but...
1: LinkedIn, and I'm going to find Benny, and I'm going to tell him that his alma mater needs him. You do that he if if, yeah, if enough pe-
0: if enough people do that, maybe you could bring him back in the fold. <laughs>
1: yeah, seriously. Like if he found if he found ZTF, there's other people that are out there that we need to we need to be looking at.
0: We're going to shift gears a little bit. I um, with I figured with the conclusion of the coaching carousel. I got to thinking the other day about, you know, you see you see conference coach rankings like every offseason, right? And Pac-12 coach rankings and and who's the best and and so on and so forth. And it looks so different now than even it did a couple of years ago. You know, Chris Peterson is is out of the game. Mario Cristobal has left the conference. Washington's been <laughs> been in flux and Washington State's been in flux and Arizona had a first year guy and there's there's been all these changes. Uh we had the idea, let's let's do a Pac twelve coach draft. So what we're gonna do, and the premise here is if you had to pick from the twelve Pac twelve coaches who you would want to take over a league average roster. So not 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 elite, but not bad either. Your talent is league average, your resources are league average, is you're just kind of middle of the pack, third or fourth in, in your division. Um And you're picking
1: the most who do you think the most average roster is? I was I was thinking is is it Cal? Cal might be, but you have Yeah, the one thing that always makes me and I guess it's just like a tiebreaker sort of thing, I'm like Cal's got good talent, but they've got that institutional legacy of not following orders. Like I just think in general, like people at Berkeley aren't inclined to football success because they're a little bit too free thinking. Like we need a little bit more like military mili- but but Cal would be a pretty good one. Is it UCLA? UCLA's probably right there too.
0: Yeah, but they won 8 games this year. And they still kind of have true. the remnants of some pretty good recruiting classes. I'm thinking like this Cal
1: probably year in and year out. Cal Cal is probably the answer cuz they're they're very seldom god awful terrible. And and they're yeah, that's probably the most consistently average program.
0: And at this hypothetical school you would have at least marginally better administrative support than you do at Cal. Like don't, yeah okay, don't, that's good. don't yeah. think Cal from like a total program perspective, like right. think, think the type of roster Cal usually has, but at a school that like mostly generally cares about winning, winning football.
1: Yeah. games. Yeah.
0: So we're going to, we're going to pick a coach to take over that program. And the, with the goal of winning a conference championship in a five-year window, that's the, that's the criteria here. So I will, I will turn it over to you to have the first pick. I feel like there's a clear top two here.'m I'm, I'm curious to hear who you go with number one.
1: My number one is is Kyle Whittingham and he has the benefit of also being the toughest. So if it came down to it like and there was there was just a general breakdown in law and order across society and if, we went to If The Oklahoma if the drill Nancy, decided that yeah, yeah you you would have an advantage in that like if, if the zombie apocalypse comps like you've you've got the advantage of having the toughest coach as well, but Kyle Whittingham, you give me league average talent, and and I think I think Kyle Whittingham, I think he's winning you eight games at a minimum, and I think over those five years he'll put together a team. He he doesn't need an elite quarterback to win it to win a conference title.
0: Are you are you concerned at all about the not to say that they haven't recruited well or that he's he's a bad recruiter, but do you think he he recruits at a high enough level to to get to that to get to that point with a league average roster?
1: Yes, because I think I think Utah is the toughest destination, the toughest non-Pullman destination to recruit to in the conference. I I think I think Utah is difficult to get the just the the talent base that you're drawing from. Um that the fact I think it's harder to get kids from California there than it is to somewhere like Boulder. Um, I, I I think you put Kyle Whittingham in a different spot. I, I think he still gets that that toughness and he get he gets a little more he gets a little more athleticism on his program.
0: I heard uh, my editor Mitch Light and, and our recruiting writer, Ari Wasserman, do a, a recruiting podcast. and I heard them say that Utah, among Power Five schools, is actually the most remote Power Five school in terms of distance between it and the closest Power Five school, which I would not have guessed.
1: Is that an advantage? But there's no people in that part of the country, right? Because normally you would say that's a great advantage because you're like the one, the, the 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 only show in town. But there's no towns. Like it's so it it's so like there's just a barren. Yeah, there's not many people out there.
0: You are in a. I mean, you're in a metro area. And like Salt Lake City, you know, the Huskies Ish. sort of, yeah. The, yeah, the Huskies have pulled a you know, good, good handful of guys from, from the Salt Lake area. And yeah, you know, Utah, I think is, um, has got you know, obviously they, they recruit in state, but yeah, I was there. I think they're like 500 some miles from, from Boulder. And that's the closest power five school. Cause I think you feel He's... you throw out that, you throw out that question. And I feel like a lot of people immediately go to, to Wazoo, um, but Wazoo's much closer to Seattle than than Utah is to the closest power 5 city which i i had not occurred to me
1: yeah yeah i i i think that's i think that's a tough i think that's a tough spot to recruit to i think i think whittingham does a great job so he's my he's my first pick if if you had had the first pick would you go whittingham or or did you did you are you going to get your first pick now because i didn't take the guy you wanted
0: so it's close and like certainly Defensible. I think either of these guys would be would be a fine first pick, but I actually would have I would have gone with Lincoln Riley, um, mm-hmm. and really the recruiting is is um, kind of puts it over, over the top for me. And I know that you could make the argument that he's only ever recruited to schools that you know you could throw any head coach into and they'd recruit well. Oklahoma recruits itself. USC recruits itself. I don't know how true that is about Oklahoma, at least at the level that he recruited at. Like he did expand their footprint West and, and was into California and um, you know, got some guys who maybe traditionally wouldn't be, wouldn't be coming to Norman. And then, you know, I think the fact that he takes the USC job and immediately flips a couple of those really big time guys who were all in on him at Oklahoma. And, you know, obviously um, Lincoln Riley himself was a big enough selling point that, that now they're, they're going to follow in the USC. I think that says something he's, you know, obviously offensive background, has done great things with multiple, you know, different quarterbacks. He's coached a couple of different Heisman winners, and you know, there's a chicken or the egg debate there too. I understand, but um, I think his his offensive background fits the Pac-12 really well. And you know, I just think not only would he do well offensively with a league average roster, I just think he would elevate the talent of a league average roster in a league average program so quickly just through his personality and. His, his name recognition and his brand, that um, he, he'd be the guy that I would take. Probably, it is a, it's, it's a slight edge. It's not a huge gap between him and, and Kyle Whittingham, but I, would, I probably would have taken Lincoln number one overall.
1: The, the part about him, and he's clear, he's, I, I, I agree with you. I think there are two choice, like, top two choices here, and these are the two guys. Lincoln Riley comes from the school of offensive thought or the, the, the program that I think has done more than any else to create parity across college football, as, as we currently know it. I think Mike Leach's air raid program did more to, to equalize the footing and to give also-ran or afterthought programs uh, a fighting chance against teams with superior recruiting bases with more size and more strength. Lincoln Riley comes from that. And he's shown the ability to get those top shelf recruits. So it's basically that not only can he take a situation that's bereft of talent and, and run an offense that gives them the best shot, but he's now getting superior skill position athletes to run that offense. It's it's an incredible... I, I have I have a lot of respect for how Lincoln Riley has put together and built a, a football program. And just you, you look at you look at the track record that he's had and how how quickly he climbed up uh once he left Texas Tech, then going to East Carolina, the quarterbacks that he's had, the guys who have had success with him, the the number of different it's it's really remarkable to have two different Heisman trophy winners in back to back years that transferred to your program is yeah. It, it's I, I I can't I can't disagree. I think of all of the different people that USC could have hired. He's about my least favorite one. Cause I think he's going to win. I, I think he's going to win a ton at USC.
0: Now does his league average team beat Kyle Whittingham's league average team like in year one? I don't know. You know, I, I think Whittingham is, uh, he, he's probably the guy in this conference who's going to get the most out of his roster, no matter what. Um, but I think if you just project it out, you know, even just a few years, um, Lincoln Riley would would be the one I'd trust most to have his team playing at a a conference championship type level uh, year in and year out. I think there's I think there's a drop off here between those top two. Um, Maybe we'll feel differently a few years from now. I don't know. But, man, I think I think like three through eight here, maybe three through nine is like it really becomes a matter of personal preference. I'm curious to hear who you would go with next.
1: Number three. Number three, I'm going to go with Justin Wilcox. Okay. I think you put him on a league average team where he doesn't have to fight his city's health department over COVID restrictions. I think if you put him, I, I think number three, I'm going to go with Justin Wilcox just because you know he's going to put a defense out there that's that that's capable of competing. My number three pick is, is Justin Wilcox.
0: It's interesting that the reputation with, and it's a well-earned reputation that he hasn't figured out the offensive side of the ball. Man, I thought I thought Bo Baldwin was just such a genius offensive coordinator hire for them. I thought, I thought, so too. I thought he was going to kill it there. There's no reason to think that he wouldn't.
1: Yeah, but it hasn't happened, and I think that that's – that's probably more than anything because I don't think Justin has all that much to do with what they run on offense. And
0: then Bill and Mus they- Bill Musgrave was kind of the one, like Bo Baldwin was like, "Oh, God, wow,
1: what a what a
0: git, amazing!" And it didn't work out, and he left. And and then the hire of Bill Musgrave was kind of like, "Well, I don't, I don't know if that's going to work."
1: Yeah, it's it's been I I have a lot of I I think I think Justin Wilcox does an awfully good job, and I'm not. I'm glad that UW hired Kalen DeBoer over him, but if you gave me my pick with that, with that even sort of even amount of talent, like conference average talent, and when I, I think Justin Wilcox is the guy I'm going with.
0: So with the fourth pick, and and maybe this is a maybe this is a little bit too high considering the, the sample size, but um, I think this this season proved. That Oregon State is on enough of an upward trajectory. I, I would go with. I'm going to go with Jonathan, Jonathan Smith, Smith here. No kidding, really. You know what part is awfully high. You know what part of it is? There, they had this really good Oregon State type of season. Little guy. Oh, they're they. Mm-hmm. What are they? Seven and five. Uh you know they were they were in contention for the the Pac-12 North championship and and they're going to a bowl game and like jonathan smith gets an extension and feel good and oh isn't it great that they're on the come up and he fired their defensive coordinator during the season because yeah. they weren't good enough yeah. and and to me that was like okay like jonathan smith is this just eminently normal human being by the way like very pr- pretty even keel you know calm Maybe on the quiet side, just from a public persona type. Nice guy. But man, he wants to win. And the standard the standard for him in Oregon State, at least from his perspective, is not just gonna be, oh my God, scratch and claw six games, and if if we win six games, we're we're gonna have a parade through downtown Corvallis like he, you know, he played for them at a time when, you know, they, they were a, a last second field goal at Washington away from competing for a national championship. And I think he remembers that. And I think he, he knows that, you know, now that the roster has kind of been remade in his image and, and I think they can feel pretty good about what they've done offensively. And, um you know, they've, they've clearly made some significant strides like him make being willing to to make that coaching change and not wait and like resolve an issue now before it before it becomes a bigger issue and you know, send the message that, you know, hey, we're you know just because we're Oregon State and and you know, we won more games than, than people thought we would this year, that's not good enough. I wanna be better. I just thought that sent a, a message that maybe maybe wouldn't necessarily be sent at a program like that in, in most years under most coaches. So I, that, you know, that's not why I think, you know, why I'm taking him here. I think he's a good coach and good offensive mind and, you know, he's put together, he's got a, got a good staff there where he put together, you know, good offensive coordinator with a really good offensive line coach and all those sort of things. And he's tapped into the portal really well. They played this transfer game really well. Um, he's found a couple of really good running backs and um, yeah, I just, I think with so much uncertainty and like the veteran coaches in this conference, kind of not recapturing the magic of their youth and all that sort of thing. Um, I'm I'm going to take Jonathan Smith here.
1: The one here's the here's the the somewhat strange observation I have about Jonathan Smith. Usually, quarterbacks are more focused on quarterbacks. It doesn't seem like the quarterback is the most important thing to him about his football program which I'm not saying is a good or a bad thing and it might turn out to be his greatest strength that he is not so beholden to that position but it kind of feels like he's seen the ability and and doesn't doesn't isn't re- relying upon once we get the right quarterback here that he's building things without sort of with an eye toward the overall product rather than waiting to get his perfect guy
0: yeah I, and it, it's it's always going to be run focused you know, mm-hmm. and and like you said, maybe it's because they haven't had the guy where he can really trust to like put the ball up and you know throw a ton of passes. Um, I and and if there's one thing kind of holding him back, like he's kind of made some Chris Peterson esque in game decisions, like around clock management and timeout usage that make you go, uh, what do you what are you doing? Like there was a there was a fourth down decision against Wazoo um, in 2019 that basically kept them out of a bowl game. You know they could they could have snapped that bull streak sooner. So, you know he's still he's still relatively new to the head coaching thing. Maybe that's something that gets ironed out. Um and, and may you know maybe as they as they develop their talent and feel like they're more evenly matched with the rest of the Pac twelve, he doesn't feel like he has to take some of the some of the risks that they that they've taken. But that's another thing I've I've liked about him that even. Like, especially early in his tenure when he knew they were just totally outclassed against everybody they played, he was pulling out, you know, multiple trick plays a game and going forward on fourth down and onside kicking. And like, he's just he he for such a laid back kind of even kill persona like he's he's not risk averse he he's a guy who's kind of willing to go for it, you know, and I think at a program like Oregon state, you need to have that mentality. So the, I, I, I would be curious to see what he could do at a different program. Part of me does kind of think that, you know, he is sort of the one in a million fit there where they wouldn't, there's no one else they'd rather have. And there's nowhere else he'd rather be, um, as, as that being his alma mater and him, you know, fully understanding what it takes to, to do what he wants to get done there. But, um, I think he's shown enough for for me to take a flyer on him this early.
1: We pause now for reflections on two guys sliding in the draft order a little more. Like the the I don't think they're quite sleepers yet, but a little surprised. Neither Chip Kelly nor David Shaw. Went yeah,
0: I, yeah. I um I was thinking about this earlier. It would have been just insane even two years ago to make a best coaches in the pack 12 list that didn't have David Shaw in the top three. Right. I know. It's, but I
1: don't, I just don't, I just don't know if he's got it anymore. They've settled into this weird stretch where it's their quarterbacks aren't bad either. Like their quarterbacks keep getting drafted and they run the ball. Like we know how well they run the ball and Dave Wyman will say that they have an institutional bias against speed or an institutional lack of speed at corner and that that always catches up to him. But it's it's very weird because I feel I I feel the same way you do where I was like, he's a good coach. But and there's also I don't know if his approach works outside of Stanford. Yeah, that's the big question with him. Right. And and because I was thinking about it. I like, said, why do I think that? Because Tyrone Willingham won when he got out of Stanford, at least when he went to Notre Dame, and Denny Green went from Stanford when it's an awfully successful coach. So it's not that much be the too. best Jim Harbaugh, Bill Walsh. Like there's a there's a pretty good pedigree of guys that it's not like the only guys that have ever won at Stanford could only coach eggheads. But I, I do I do wonder how he'd be. So that's gonna be my pick here, David Shaw. And, and there's, there's a little bit of me that feels that he should have gone instead of Wilcox, that these, those two guys should be flip-flopped. But I do wonder what's happened, because they've had pretty good quarterbacks, and they haven't won as much as you'd think, given the quality that they had at quarterback.
0: Yeah, and you, you don't think of them as this, like, smash-mouth behemoth anymore, you know? It used to be that you really you know, really did not want to play them, because they were going to line up and run power. And run power and run power and dare you to stop it. And even if you knew it was coming, a lot of the times you couldn't. And you knew that they were going to have a couple of NFL offensive linemen, and they always seemed to have these like seven foot four tight ends that just had a limitless supply on the bench. They'd roll through there, and they could throw jump balls and, and out jump people. And you know they were the. They were the Oregon killers for a while. There, they were they were the the program that prevented Chip Kelly from just absolutely owning the Pac-12 North, and they've they've slipped from that. You know, um, it seems like they've kind of lost their offensive identity, and maybe some of that's talent based, but you don't really know what they are anymore. They're not. They don't have that same you know, they, they used to roll these linebackers through too, who, who were just badasses and and not guys you wanted to, to meet in the gap. And and now, you know, they, they had the softest run defense in the conference this year, I think. So they just don't, they don't have that edge anymore. And again, I, I don't know if that's because the mentality has changed or if it's, if it's just a matter of talent, it's a lot easier to have edge when you have a, you know, a bunch of linebackers and D linemen who are going to play in the NFL. So, um, it, it's it's weird because i think they might have the the top ranked recruiting class in the Pac-12 right now just as the way that everything turned out cuz Oregon's Oregon's kind of in disarray a little bit with guys decommitting with Mario Cristobal leaving and um you know they they've had they've actually had some pretty decent classes recently and they've recruited some decent quarterbacks so we'll see if they bounce back and some of that some of that young talent is is ready to kind of kind of step up and turn things around but yeah i mean i I don't think David Shaw is in any kind of trouble at Stanford, but I I do think that there are significant questions about whether he can regain that form.
1: All right. Shaw goes off the board at five. Who are you taking at six?
0: (sighs) It's I, I I'm giving this a lot of thought between, between two guys, one who, who you've talked about slipping a little bit Mm -hmm. and, and the other, and the other who, who Washington just hired. Um, and I think I'm going to go with Kalen DeBoer here. And, and the reason is I,
1: Homer. <laughs> he hasn't even coached a game at the Pac-12 yet. You're going to put him at number six.
0: <laughs> the reason is I, I don't trust Chip Kelly to put the energy into recruiting <laughs> that needs to be put into it.
1: Is that what's going on down there? Because it's really I mean, Chip Kelly, we watched it here. Chip Kelly was a monster at Oregon. Like that that offense that they put together and the way they played, and and he's made an awful lot of money since then. First at Philadelphia and then and then at San Francisco. And there it makes no sense how meh that UCLA team is. Like I I I that that for the life of me. It baffles me that he hasn't been better because I know what kind of coach he is. Is it that he's just not working on recruits? Well, I think they got better this year
0: when they're eight and four. Um, it still didn't kind of seem to have yeah, the type of season people hoped for. Yeah.
1: It's not. It's not man that because it's the way that they won. And it, that offense at Oregon was electric. What was it dude? Maybe maybe he lost his hookup with Willie Lyles. Was that the guy's name? Yeah, It was like sending him recruiting reports on dead kids. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was Willie. <really laughs> it yeah. also
1: happened to be the reason that like a bunch of kids from Texas suddenly popped up at Eugene. Maybe maybe, maybe I'm taking, but they have not been because you're right. They were a pretty good team, but they're not they're not good the way I thought. We, I thought that team was going to score seventy points. I like get that yeah, as Chip Kelly at UCLA. Like, are you kidding me? And. It, it's it's just it's been it's been way more boring than I thought it was going to be. I think part
0: of it is he completely changed college football with his offense. Yeah, and and when you change college football, everyone else is going to adapt, right? They're going to adjust. They're going to catch up eventually. And it's been enough, you know, t- enough time has passed that it's not it's no longer considered innovative. I still saw them do things offensively that were creative, and they found ways to move the ball um, on the ground. You know, they they were a really good running team. Dorian Thompson Robinson came along. Probably, probably still was never quite the passer that that you hoped a, a guy like that would be. But um, I, I just I, I'm going to put such an emphasis on on recruiting in this exercise yeah. that that it it almost makes Kelly a, a non candidate for me. Just a, you don't you don't see. There just doesn't seem to be any energy or any buzz around their recruiting, and you're you're <laughs> in the you're in Los Angeles, and you're an eight and four team at a time when USC is just down and has been doing, yeah. the, you know, had been yeah. doing this dance with Clay Helton for three years, and they never really took advantage of it.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a very good point. What sells you on Ka- Kalen DeBoer?
0: I think the energy is there. Um, I think the the leadership and the structure and the vision is there. You know, I. Who, who knows if he'll win at Washington, but I've like, even before he kind of became a a factor at UW and, and, and even before it became obvious, there'd be a coaching search. Like I was, I was pretty impressed with what he'd done at, at Fresno state, just kind of watching Jake Hayner this year. And, you know, they obviously, they put, put up 40 points on, on Chip Kelly in, in LA, right. Or in, in Pasadena. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I think he's got the right, the right tools and the right traits, and he's you know another thing if if recruiting is is number one for me as as we draft these guys number two is is um offensive background and obviously chip has him there from a a lifetime achievement perspective um but i think the the emphasis on on passing and just what he's been able to do with jake hayner um the way that he he kind of reinvigorated indiana in his one year there um you know the, the fact that, uh, I think he could come into a program and, and, and put together uh, a passing game that could make them instantly competitive in the pac 12. And I think he has, you know, just from watching their recruiting so far, like, I think he has a, a plan and has a vision. Um, and I just, it, it's definitely an upside pick. There's still so many unknowns with him. And, um, you know, three years from now, we might look back on this and, and laugh that anybody would, pass up a number of these guys for chip kelly maybe it'll get ucla humming along and and it'll be look ridiculous in hindsight but the recruiting piece for me um it's not necessarily that kalen DeBoer is like this proven awesome recruiter right like he's never done it at the power five level i just i just very much don't trust chip kelly to get that done right now
1: yeah my selection at number seven is chip kelly but that's kind of the whether it's the caveat or the reason that, that, that he's here is because you just do wonder how much of he's got invested in this. Um, I'm surprised that it has not gone differently at UCLA, but more than that, I'm surprised that it hasn't gone differently with U- USC being as blah as it has. And this, he walked into, Chip Kelly walked into that market in the perfect time to turn it on its head and i i really did expect him i know that ucla is a tougher job than than a lot of people understand but it still has a remarkable pull and if i just looked at it it was like the kind of guys that he was getting when he was at oregon and now he's at ucla i, I thought you i thought you were going to see a massive amount of speed there and you just you just really haven't you just it just hasn't it it has not popped and the okay I know from 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 talking to coaches that recruiting recruiting is a challenge especially after you've gone to the NFL and been able to deal with players on that sort of basic very black and white here's your opportunity you make the most of it or you're gone to go back to kissing 18 year olds butts to get them in your in your school is is a difficult transition but I just I I thought Chip was going to do it and so far there seems to be I, the guy has not gotten dumber about football, and he was way ahead of, of anybody else with what he put in at Oregon and, and how much they succeeded. And it, it's pretty remarkable. But this is Chip Kelly goes number seven, but it's with a yeah, I thought he'd be higher, too.
0: But that's a, it's it's a value pick at number seven.
1: It's a good value pick. He's got yeah. tremendous upside. We know that if he taps, he's he's the kind of guy like, you know, you know, you've got to tell him, tell him giddy up. But if he really gets up to a gallop, you know, he'll be roaring.
0: Oh, yeah. Like if we were sl- if we were slotting like salary based on where these guys went, you'd you'd feel good about getting Chip Kelly for what you'd have to pay him here.
1: Right. You would say three years ago, this guy's in the top three. And now he's got a little rough go of it. But, man, if he regains that stride, you're really going to look back and think that this was an incredible selection because of the upside potential that's there. Uh,
0: At number eight, I'm going to go with Herm Edwards um, because I – Big Herm! First of all, I like a coach who's willing to cheat. Um, it shows it. It shows a dedication to recruiting, and it's it's. Do we
1: think Herm's cheating? Because I just kind of assume his lieutenants were out there on their. Oh, no, he's the
0: money. he's the CEO of a program that cheated. He, he is, but don't
1: you don't you think that Herm Herm's Herm's too goody two shoes? Like he was mad that they brought up devils at his intro press conference.
0: Yeah, I, I could believe I could believe that it was the work of his lieutenants. Um, regardless, uh, look, uh, what would you would you rather have a head coach? whose program is is known to bend the rules or one who's not putting in enough effort to cheat.
1: I am on the record as saying I will gladly take two years of bull ban probation to go to the Rose bowl. So give, give me the cheater, but you probably won't even get that anymore. Yeah, I know. What are you going to get in trouble for? Uh, give me the cheater.
0: Yeah. So give me the cheater. So that, that's what puts him above kind of the, the rest of the coaches remaining in this pool. Um, I, I like the edginess, you know, I like the, I I like the bad boy image now surrounding that program. Um, I know he's, he's willing to hire some guys who will do what it takes to, to get some talent in here. So, you know, if that's, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes at program X. Um, Oddly that structure there has kind of, kind of sort of almost looked like it was working. And then, and then the, you know, the investigation comes down and this year didn't go the way they wanted, but you know, they'd recruited, they'd recruited. Okay. Um, they, man, they had some really exciting skill guys this year, a couple of running backs who were just studs. Um, and they've got, you know, they had some guys at receivers. So, you know, really it's more a statement of, of just who's left. Um, and it's the
1: strangest job in the Pac-12. 12, is it, Arizona state is the strangest program. Like there's, it is inexplicable to me why they aren't better. They they seem to have fairly decent facilities. It's not like UCLA. It's a great spot. Anybody can get into that school. It's not like people are being turned away as like you didn't measure up to our academic requirements. It it should be um, it, I cannot for the life of me understand why they can't be better. And and it's it's through multiple coaches now. They even brought in a cheater. This is the second documented cheater that they brought in because Erickson was there for a while, and. And it still hasn't happened. I think like it's, it's the it's the weirdest thing to me.
0: What does it say about Todd Graham? Like, how difficult <laughs> is that guy that he got fired from ASU after going seven and five in a year where they beat Arizona and beat Washington when when they were really good?
1: Yeah it's it it certainly speaks to that that guy must be an absolute pain to be around because yeah. you're you're a hundred percent right. Like you get fired, it's kind of like. There was a big story this week about how, like, Luka doncic Doncic, Doncic, I always screw it up—was um, talking about how Rick Carlisle was mean to people and he didn't treat people well. I was like, dude, that's not news. Like, I, I was covering the NBA in 2003, and he got fired from a 50-win team because people couldn't stand him. Like, he's—and and that's the same with Todd Graham of, like, yeah, there are certain guys. Like, he must actually be a really good coach— for how far he's gotten despite a tremendous amount of evidence that nobody likes him.
0: Yeah, like if it were just the whole, oh, he leaves, you know, he right. he, he job hops thing, like that's enough to to kind of overcome, but yeah, I think he's just there's not a very nice guy. I don't know if he's ever like kicked his kicker or, or anything, but
1: <laughs> How about that? How about that? Hey, that's di- a, hey, that's a hilarious that's a hilarious way to lose a job. <laughs> That is, and I, like on the one hand, I want to like be, I think it's wrong when coaches hit players. Like, I, I don't, I don't think you need to touch a player. I don't think they should do no. in college, but there's a little bit of it. It's like urban couldn't even kick the kicker, <laughs> 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 like, 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 like that guy's stock has fallen so far that he went from being, this is the coach that that owner went out and got to he kicked a kicker they cut and it cost him his job like that dude's not even on the team anymore i couldn't like, even tell you his, the, what's his name josh lambo josh which Lambeau. i know because he's been in the league before but i was like he got fired for kicking a kicker who's not even on the team anymore that's how little <laughs> that's how sick of urban everybody there is in jacksonville
0: i'm just imagining the owner like he kicked who oh go no <laughs> he
1: kicked the <a> kicker <laughs>
0: Well, we have to fire him now.
1: <laughs> yeah, God, <laughs> that's 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 been a year for Urban. I, I, I thought, I thought he was at least going to get ground down to the point where he quit. Like I didn't, I didn't have this was going to be such a menace that he got fired in his first year to the point that you wondered if he was sabotaging himself because he just did, wanted all the money without working.
0: Let's say it's November thirtieth, and you're scrolling through Twitter, and. Bruce Feldman tweets: Breaking. Washington and Urban Meyer have agreed to a, a five-year contract.
1: I would have been furious. Yeah, I, I probably would have canceled my season tickets, like, I, or t- told the group that I'm with that I'm not in it anymore. I I hate Urban. Um, I I he he embodies a lot of different things that I think are horrendously. I think he's I think he's a he should not manage people. Like, it, it's not even, and it's not a football thing, or it's not like there is such a long he should not be responsible for having anybody report to him he has shown such an inability to be responsible with that i i, I could not have cheered for for washington while urban was coaching him
0: i think that would be the majority opinion um ah, it's interesting it's... i cuz in, i remember you know before the rose bowl um 3 years ago chris peterson talked about how how good a friends um, him and urban Meyer are and they you know they go back they go back quite a long ways it'd be interesting to kind of get his perspective on all this
1: i know someone who played for him um he's a close family friend at utah and loves urban like like loves him i'm sure and, a lot of people do and and it's and that's what's so because it's not like like i discount the existence of that side of him or that personality of him it's just that there is so much evidence over the past ten years that he is a really amoral leader. Like, and that's that's the best way I could describe it. Like, I it, it's it's not about winning, and it's not even, I think he quits in a way that's pretty despicable. Like, where it gets hard, and he just gives up, which I think is is a really poor leadership trait. But it's beyond that. Like, it's just the the things he did with that assistant coach, and what he knew, and then how he tried to avoid that. Like, I just i. I, I, it's impossible for me to know what happened there, and and think that he is an acceptable leader in any organization that you feel good about.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's completely fair. Who you who you liking at number nine here?
1: Well, let's say the guys that I'm not going to pick, Jed Fish. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I don't think I'd take Jed Fish to win the Kinko. <laughs> <laughs> i don't, I don't think I'd trust jed to 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 coach a high school team to a conference title so he's he's off the board Carl Durrell the nicest thing I can say about him is I'd take him before I took jed fish <laughs> uh, start so I guess I'm down am i am I going take am I going take the Koog? Or And I can't take the duck. I don't know enough about the duck. Yeah, I'm going to take the Coug. Do, is, is, it's Dickert, right? Yeah. Dickert's, Dickert's, Dickert's the head coach. He's going to keep the job. That's who I would take here. Yeah, I think, I think Dickert's the guy. It's pretty remarkable what they were able to do. Um, I almost and,
0: wish I'd taken him over Herm Edwards now in hindsight.
1: Eh, it's I, hard to know how Dickert's going to do for a whole year. What I'll say is this, that I think that that team the way they played not only up to Rolovich being fired, but after he got fired, because when they let go of Rolovich, there was part of me that really felt bad for the players in this regard is that it seemed like they'd really pulled together.
0: They were playing really well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and so I thought I was like, I was like, maybe maybe they really believe in their coach. And look, I, I think Rolovich should have been fired. I think he should have been fired before the season started. Like, I think the whole thing was ridiculous, but the kids seemed to play for him, and so I thought Like when he got fired, I was like, oh, their season might be ruined now, and it wasn't, and I just I think that's pretty remarkable. I, I'm not sure if that's entirely a reflection on Dickert or if it's about the kids on that team that they, they had strong enough leadership in that locker room to be able to not just play hard for Rolovich even as he was in this fight but to keep playing hard after Rolovich got fired, which if everybody had been like win one for Rolo, there would have been a letdown after that. And I thought I, I was really impressed with them. And Dickert's part of that. So I, I the Kooks the should feel really, really proud of, of how that team played this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were one result on the final weekend away from playing Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. You know, yeah, if Oregon State beats Oregon. So I... I talked to I talked to Jake Dickert um, for our state of the program story on Washington State before the 2020 season. Um, so like before, you know, Rolovich and his staff had, had coached a game there, and I, I was really impressed. I and mean, he's just, he's clearly really smart. He's a football guy. Um, he had done really well as defensive coordinator at Wyoming, and had been he he had his his idea of what it meant to be successful defensively was so like practical and not hung up on yards per play or yards per rush or this many yards per game but you know hey we're gonna be really really tough in the red zone we're not gonna give up touchdowns in the red zone we're not gonna give up explosive plays you know when teams score against us we want to have forced them to run this many plays and and you know it really kind of reminded me a little of, of Pete Kwiatkowski and Jimmy Lake's philosophy where you keep everything in front of you. If, if a team's going to beat you, you're going to make him earn it type of thing. And I just, I really, I appreciated his perspective toward, toward defense. He already had a very clear, specific idea of, you know, what he wanted body type wise at each position. You know, they immediately came in and, you know, all due respect to Alex Grinch, because I think the the speed d thing worked for him but you know they looked at the kind of small fast defensive tackles and said and eh, no, like we're going to recruit differently we got to be a lot bigger for what we want to do and so you know we'll, I, I think he made a good offensive coordinator hire eric morris was the head coach at incarnate word comes from the mike leach coaching tree played receiver for mike leach at texas tech and and you know is is steeped in the air raid so we'll see what kind of offense um he brings but i i do think jake dickert in terms of a you know a young guy who who has only been a coordinator and has no head coaching experience i i think he's got what you're looking for at least
1: yeah i'll be excited to see how that that progresses there because there there's a lot of if you're the cooks you feel you feel really good about how you came out of what was just an awful situation um like that's and the person the, the people it was worst for were the players that that was really too bad
0: uh, with the tenth pick, I, I'm I'm going to take Dan Landing, um, yes. who really burst onto the scene of this Oregon coaching search, uh, kind of out of nowhere. Um, props to Chip Towers from the Atlanta Journal Constitution, by the way, for for having that story and sticking by it. even as um, Oregon administrators obviously scrambled to to try to say it wasn't true, and then 24 hours later, it it was.
1: Why? Why if you're an Oregon, why would you do that?
0: Yeah, there like must that's... there must have just been something not done, and then there was the report from Kanzano that Justin Wilcox turned him down, and so I wonder do like, do you
1: think that's true?
0: I mean, I don't think he would just make it up.
1: No, I don't think so either. But that that part didn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a
0: little it it is a little odd.
1: It's a little hard to fathom. I, I mean, so because because things that can happen are a guy can withdraw from a job, right? Like if he finds out he's not going to get it that'll happen. It happens less frequently because now you don't even really have that many publicly identified candidates um, or that people know that you interviewed for a job. So there would be times, like I remember Tom O'Brien um, at UW, he withdrew. Like he, he withdrew as a candidate and everybody was like, oh, that's... And I'm, I remember if that was when Sartre got the job, might have been when Tyrone Willingham did. Um, but I, when I saw that, I was really surprised if, if Justin Wilcox would have turned... Turned the Oregon job down. That just doesn't make sense to me.
0: Yeah, maybe there's more to it. I mean, I tend to, I tend to trust that that you know, if John ran with it, that it's that it's legit. Um, but it is the
1: rock solid gospel. God, that's weird. Why would Wilcox do that? It's
0: an interest, especially because I mean, it seemed like he, it seemed like his people were were trying to get his name involved in a couple different searches, Washington's included. Yeah. So uh,
1: not only that, but. I mean, dude, it's hard to be the Berkeley football coach.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, yeah,
1: the department, the Department of Health, got mad at him this. Like, he got into a fight with the Berkeley Department of Health, and in most normal and it's not schools, the first. It wasn't
0: the first time.
1: No, in most normal schools, like the school would step in and and, and deal with the Department of Health and. Down there, it's Berkeley. They're like, oh, I don't know. You go talk to them. It's athletics. They do their own thing. It's pretty much they consider athletics to be something entirely separate from, from the University of Cal Berkeley. It's very bizarre.
0: Do you think Oregon would have been interested in Kalen DeBoer? Huh. Because it seemed like they were skewing. I mean, other than the reported interest in Chip Kelly, it seemed like they were skewing defense a little yeah. bit.
1: N- no. I. Here's my own theory on this. I think Oregon believes that it can recruit in SEC territory. Right? That that's that's what I think. And so I think that they were I think they were leaning defense and I think they were leaning towards something. And I shouldn't say SEC. Well, it is SEC because Texas is now too. I I think I think Oregon believes that it has that it has the capability that it can be I think we are going to see their program resemble more and more an SEC type program with the kind of speed and aggression they put on their defense. So I think they were leaning that way. The, they They would have been leaning that way the whole time.
0: With that said, I do Dan Lanning checks one of the boxes that I kind of outlined as ideal for Washington search, which is SEC recruiting experience. And just yep. like having, having existed in a world where recruiting is life or death and, well, oh, I thought
1: you were going to say having existed in a world where you throw big fat sacks of cash around. Well, that do too. We not talk, do we not talk about that? No, that's
0: what. Well, that's that's what life or death means in recruiting. <laughs> you exactly know, right. How, how quick? How quickly can you get that bag together, and how voluminous is that bag?
1: Yes, we're recruiting. We understand. We understand the ins and outs of recruiting and the corners that may be cut from time to time.
0: Yes, and and you can do it so much more publicly now. Um, I didn't realize he was only thirty-five years old. Man, that's young. Yeah,
1: he's young. He's young. That defense—it's—he's put together a monster defense down there. Yes, absolutely um, monster defense.
0: The one, so it's this is—it's going to seem hypocritical because I just said about you know, about how important recruiting it is and what a what a plus it is that he's lived in that world. I wonder how good of a defensive coordinator he is because they have so much talent. That's, that's totally <laughs> so, true. which is unfair, right? Like, well, the whole point yes. is to get the talent. How are you going to knock my coaching acumen? Like, isn't isn't that the point? Like, yeah, dude, I got the talent, so I would look like a good coach. That's what you do. Um, it's I the, wild. the it's fact wild. the fact that he knows how that whole game works, I think, is a, a huge plus. And you know, he's an energetic guy, and obviously, his has put together um, one of the great defenses of this era, although Alabama took some shine off of it in the SEC title game. Uh, yeah, I mean, another guy. You just have no idea how it's going to go. Um, they got lucky with, with Mario Cristobal as a first-time head coach. Um, you know, Maybe they, they can recapture that with, with Dan Lanning. I don't know. Did, it, did you see his name come up in connection with, with any of, of the openings at the FBS level?
1: I, I didn't. I I didn't, but that doesn't really mean much because I mean they're doing so well there. Yeah, it, 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 he's pretty young, so that I don't see that as hey they reached for him. Um, that's certainly to go and to go and hire the guy that they did. I think that they they very clearly saw him as 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 fitting a very specific profile of what they were looking
0: for. He also has, I mean, he's stepping into a nice launching pad at a program with a really good recruits with yeah. a pretty high floor. So for this exercise, like taking over a league average program and building it up, uh, I would trust him a lot less than, than some of the other guys we've, we've talked about already. So here we go. We're, we're, we're down to the two guys. You're, you're, you're most thrilled to, to pick between here. At well, I'm taking 11. Carl
1: Durrell. Cause I don't, I don't want to take Jed fish. <laughs> Car- Carl Durrell by all in- intents, is one of the nicest guys that's out there. Incredibly nice dude. Um, I, I have never seen any sliver of emotion come out. Uh, I, I, he has been an entirely underwhelming presence. That he is as boring at Boulder as he was at UCLA, and that's it, it is entirely. He seems to be an entirely nondescript coach. Like there's, I, I can't think of one extraordinary thing to tell you about him other than it's just excruciatingly boring, which is weird because he's... I mean, coached under Neuheisel at at, at Boulder. Like, there's all these reasons that you can say. It's just so freaking boring. Just boring. But he's not Jed Fish.
0: He he did shove that photographer.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's true. What?
0: Excuse me. I think he shoved uh, the, the Wikipedia entry here says he shoved the a photojournalist camera. I was going to say, I remember it and I didn't remember it seeming like all that, like remarkable of a physical altercation. So, but it, perhaps it speaks to, to Carl Durrell's nature that that's like for, for him that, that constitutes, you know, excitement. Um, yeah. And then I'll take Jedfish.
1: <laughs> How do you feel about that?
0: You know, he had no chance this last year. <laughs> With that roster and stepping into that situation, um, I watched them almost beat Washington. I, you know, I I don't know that 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 counts for anything, but they seemed, you know, um, they put eleven guys out there at all times, except for when they had twelve, and they they played the whole game. So (laughs) they beat Cal uh, when. Berkeley Public Health said That's, that you know, was no one could no one could it play. Like 40,
1: it was like forty dudes that couldn't play, right?
0: It was a lot, and Chase Garbers was out, and um, was brutal.
1: Just so weird. The what was the
0: score there? of that game?
1: Um, Jed was the assistant coach for the Seahawks uh, early, in right? Pete Carroll's tenure, so I know him uh, a little bit. It was
0: ten to three. They beat Cal.
1: Yeah. And it is a tough situation there, but I always see that. Like when you take that job, are are you just like, well, worst comes to worst, I'm going to get a, a head coach paycheck and that'll always be on my resume. Like, is it, is it something that you can't really be, if you've never been a head coach, you can't turn down a head coaching job because there are so many signs of how awful that job was going to be and is going to be in the near future. I mean, to get out from under, is just baffling to me. And, and then I was just like, or maybe that just speaks to hubris that you think you're going to be able to do something with that because that, that is one of the most unwatchable PAC 12 programs that I've seen. Uh, it was, it, it was brutal to watch them play.
0: What did you think of him when he was with the Seahawks?
1: I thought he was, I thought he was a very, very personable guy. Um, I thought that he was pretty concerned with how he was portrayed. Um, I thought I, I I thought he was he was someone that sort of fixated on that. He was real good friends. Like he came there because he was tight with Jeremy Bates, who was let go after a year, and that was and Bates Bates. It was more his 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 approach did not fit with Pete's positivity. Um, I thought he was relatively innocuous. Like that was. It it did not when when he left with with Bates. I was like, yeah, that that's that makes sense because that was a pretty underwhelming. If you are not gonna have Bates there, you don't need the he he was the sunshine to offset Bates kind of grimness. I remember Jer-
0: Jeremy Bates like two minute and twenty four second media availabilities.
1: He would just always talk through these clenched teeth, and it it was just yeah, it was, it was it did nobody any good to sit there and go through that. Um, watching his career since then because he had he kind of followed out golden um it is is who he kind of became linked up with um when he got hired to the Arizona job what I looked at and said is like they have no money like they're they're so underwater from someone and they're so they just they just have no money and they 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 needed to find somebody to take the job and I I guess I guess there's that that feeling of like maybe it'll turn out all right. I just I have a hard time thinking that if you're a coach looking at at your long-term trajectory that you wouldn't say like, "Ooh, I'll I'll wait for something else." Like I am not I'm not jumping into that job because it's a pretty dreadful situation.
0: Yeah. All yeah. All I mean, I think the jury's very much still out on his abilities as a head coach just cuz, you know, that was it was such an impossible situation. Uh, with that team this year, I will say to his credit, off the field he seems to get it. You know, he seems to like. I I've seen some social media activity that's like, oh, okay, that's, you know, for a head coach that's pretty savvy. And it seems like they've gotten in front of some recruits that you wouldn't think they'd be able to get in the door with. Um, so you know, who knows? Give him a couple years, maybe he'll have them competitive. But yeah, I think a pretty a pretty obvious number 12 um, in this exercise. So here, here's your roster. Here's how it... Actually,
1: it... let me let me go, because I'm, I'm sitting here and talking around. Here's what I think of Jed Fish. Okay. Because when I was sitting in the press box, and he's coming up, and it's game day, he's coming up to the coach's box where he's going to be. And, I mean, we're like 25 minutes from kickoff, 20 minutes from kickoff, and I'm sitting there eating free food because I'm a sports journalist, and that's the sort of thing I do. Omelet bar? And it might've been very well, might've been on the bar. And Jed fish makes a comment to me about how Danny, you don't like great players, huh? And I was like, what? And he's like, your column today, you're ripping on Tom Brady. And, and there are two things like, first of all, like the criticism of Tom Brady had to do with his Uggs endorsement. And I believe that I was referring to him as being a douchebag. And it was basically just that, like, Tom had crossed that threshold to where he was now an annoying pretty boy. And it, when I saw him in advertisements, it, it, it made me want to put my finger in my throat. Like, that was just the general, like, nobody likes Brady anymore. He's annoying. This is, like, 2010. And then the second thing, I'm like... Dude, don't you have more important things to do than be reading my jackass column on Tom Brady's Uggs sponsorship on a day that you guys are in the midst of this huge tailspin, which they were at the end of the year. Remember, that's the year they won the division at seven and nine. And it's like, yeah, 25 minutes. I I think I'd be flipping crap to a reporter on something stupid he wrote. I was like, what? What's what's wrong with you? Like, why would you even a care what I wrote, but care about that? Like that has no application to your job, so that's what I think about Jed Fish is that he's very concerned about front-facing things, and it may, may, maybe cares a little bit about too much about how people talk about other people.
0: Whose column do you think he read before the Arizona Washington game this year? Because <laughs> he must have enjoyed it because they, you know, they were they led for the first three and a half quarters. They
1: did. Yeah, he was like, "We're going to prove them all wrong. We're going to shock the world. We're going to win for the first time in two years." Oh no, we didn't because we weren't even able to do that.
0: Um,
1: Should we, we recap in the draft? Order? Yeah,
0: and I'll 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 post a poll with the 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 two rosters of coaches and see who would who would take which one. It's coaches, so it's kind of weird, but you know whatever. Um, you you end up with Kyle Whittingham, Justin Wilcox, uh, David Shaw, Chip Kelly, Jake Dickert and Carl Durrell. I wound up with Lincoln Riley, Jonathan Smith, Kalen DeBoer, Herm Edwards, Dan Lanning, and Jed Fish.
1: I'm I'm missing a cheater, I'll tell you that. That's like true.
0: The, that you know us.
1: Right now I don't have I don't have anybody that's willing to really get in there and bend the rules. Like that might be a real problem. Yeah, I, I. Yeah, I would not. I got a bunch of goody two shoes. I
0: would not prioritize compliance. Were I an athletic director, because <laughs> like compliance with what you know, oh. the NCAA. Don't break any laws, I, I, all right. Don't don't get yourself in trouble with the fricking FBI. Okay, that's you know we're we're not we're we're not going we're not going uh, Adidas shoe game or anything, but.
1: Yeah, I. Think about college college sports reporting might have changed more than any other sort of realm of sports journalism over the past ten years. Like even ten years ago, like a main part of college sports reporting was NCAA enforcement. Like that was when you had the the Pete Carroll Reggie Bush investigation at USC. Like all all of those different things. Like for a long time, like people won Pulitzers over reporting on. On, on NCAA scandals. And I can't think of anything that people are, are generally less interested... Like, you, you don't see those same sort of things anymore. Like, you don't see the report about, like, all of a sudden, this has been done in violation of NCAA rules. Usually you see it as, like, Coach A is furious over what the NCAA did, and all of America agrees with him. It's it, it, It's been... I'm not sure if anything has changed as completely. It, it would... The only... It would be like if all of a sudden people were in support of steroids compared to how they felt about steroids during all of the BALCO investigation. How outraged people are! People really, I, I get the feeling. It, maybe I'm wrong. Am, am I wrong about that? It seems no, like it's just not at all.
0: Really you're you're completely right. Nobody cares. And I like this is this isn't even NCAA compliance. This would be at the high school level. But I I talked to a a high school player a couple of years ago for a story and just small talk before before. You know, and I was like, "Hey, um, it's like, oh, you live in you know wherever, right?" And he's like, "No, actually, I moved. I moved to you know some other nearby city, but was still going to 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 a high school as if as if he lived in the other city." And said, "He was like, oh, but but you know, keep that between us." And I was like, "Dude, I do not care. <laughs> like, I don't care <laughs> even a little bit. I don't know <laughs> who would." Uh maybe you know maybe someone would I don't maybe I should care more I don't know but I was just like Dude, No I, man it does not matter to me where you live or where you're going to high school.
1: Yeah that's very that's very funny. Uh I got to listen to a new Heisel uh recruiting pitch once. It was it was on Larry Stevens. You remember him he was the yeah. linebacker. Yeah. who went to he ended up going to Michigan. I Was he from I think he's from Mount Tahoma? Yeah, uh, sh- local guy. No, yeah. or maybe he's Wilson. He went Lo- to the same high school. Uh, is Trufant from Wilson Marcus yeah. Trufant from Yeah, Wilson? he's from, Yeah, he's from Wilson. So I'm pretty sure Larry Stevens is from Wilson as well. And there was a there was an answering machine message that that New left and it was like it was like you need to come to Washington, Larry. That's the only place you can wear the true number one. The true number one's going to be at Washington for you. That's the spot for you, Larry. Larry, you know that w- Washington's going to, we just, we're putting this together, man, and you're going to put it over the top, and you can come and be the number one at the number one school. And and I remember getting done with it, and I'm like, that is the weirdest, <laughs> weirdest freaking thing to imagine, like leaving a message for an 18-year-old like that and and like it was so like this combination of RFD Mayberry it like just pathetically naive that like the true number 1 jersey was going to be and and what the significance was that for everybody's life i just will always remember that of like how much credence to give college recruiting i just always remember that message of like it is a bizarro universe of insanely weird pitches that are made and how those things end up getting decided. It could be much more straightforward you just hand it out straight bags of cash.
0: Do you think he left the same message for Reggie Williams? <laughs> maybe. Because he wore number one.
1: He did wear number one. That's just Were they in the same weird. class? No, I think I think Larry was... Larry might have been two years older or maybe a year older. He was a
0: year older, the class of
1: 2000, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's... Yes, that's right. Because Larry and, and Marcus played together, but I believe Marcus was older between the two of them. Yeah. That was also the same, uh, it was at a high school basketball tournament that I heard that, where Larry was making fun of another reporter, and then the other reporter responded to him. It was one of the funniest things. That I, he was like, he was like bring, bring some better questions next time. And the reporter goes, bring a better game next time, because they just lost in the state <laughs> basketball tournament. That's so funny. And the assistant coach hears it, he's like, you get the hell out of here. <laughs> that's a that's that's
0: one of those (laughs) that's one of those retorts that's like it's so weak that it's actually like pretty cool it's so funny bring a better game next time
1: and i was like dude you just ripped on an 18 year old that lost in a state basketball tournament (laughs) (laughs) that's the most inappropriate thing i've ever heard (laughs) I was, I was like you're lucky like there's weren't kids crying in there like bring a better game next time bring a better game next time <laughs> yeah. oh my god uh, yeah.
0: we have to end it on that note
1: yeah there we go there we go
0: uh, all right I hope you enjoyed the the coach draft you feel free to, to to chime in and let us know who you would have taken uh till next time